Greg will come up here in just a minute to read the scripture, but before he does that, I want to introduce to you our guest preacher for today. His name is Dane Kramer. He's up here front. Dane lives in Somerset, Pennsylvania with his wife, Cynthia. For 11 years, Dane served as pastor at Hartonsville United Methodist Church in Lower Somerset County in Southwest PA. Since stepping out of pastoral ministry, Dane, along with his wife, Cynthia, have done mission work with discipleship ministries in Kenya and Haiti. And more recently, Dane has been leading services both at the local county jail as well as Twin Lakes Drug Rehab Center. So that's Dane's bio, but he's also my friend. We met uh, probably four years ago, three or four years ago, when he helped uh, me shuttle. I was hiking on the Laurel Highlands hiking trail, and, and Dane, I arranged a shuttle with him. I didn't know anything about Dane other than he was going to get me a ride. And we just in the short drive as he was shuttling me, I realized we had all, all this stuff in common. We shared uh, not only a passion for hiking, but a passion for Jesus, for the Bible, for the local church. And over the last four years, we've continued to get to know each other. Dane's the one who uh, helped make my winter uh, backpacking trip possible. And he's also the one that bailed me off the trail uh, when I couldn't make the 70 miles. So, uh, so he's, uh, he, he, we're thankful. The whole congregation could be thankful for, for Dane. So uh, welcome, Dane. I'm so glad you're here. And uh, Greg, you can read the scripture. Well, this is one of Dane's favorite texts, Luke 5, to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to, to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he was back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, 
Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Good morning. It's very good to be here with you all this morning. Um, yeah, my name is Dane Kramer. I come from Somerset, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's my privilege to be with you uh, here this, this morning. I was with the Sunday School class earlier, so I got to share a little bit about my background there. I won't go into too much of it here. What Pastor Matthew said is correct. We, we got hooked up over the Laurel Highlands Hiking Trail, which is a 70-mile backpacking trail that runs through uh, southwest Pennsylvania. He came to my area to, to hike it. I have a web page and a page uh, dedicated to that, so I'm sure that's how he found me from there. And we got hooked up and immediately hit it off. Um, now, it's interesting that since I met Pastor Matthew that I have really tuned in. I think for the past year, I've listened to every podcast from this church. I've, I've listened to it. I've watched a couple YouTube videos. I feel like I know some of you already, and uh, it's just kind of exciting uh, to be here. Uh, I was raised in a Methodist church. Uh, currently, I go to a, a Christian church right now. Um, but I've always kind of felt that I was the secret Anabaptist at heart. Um, I really have. And so uh, just to be here with you is excited. I've never, uh, I've never preached in a Meth or excuse me, a, a Mennonite church before. Uh, this is kind of a new thing for me. So it's a thrill. I will tell you, a number of years ago, I was studying church history and uh, you know, came to the Dark Ages, which were aptly named. And it was just depressing. You know, everything was just so depressing to read about it. And then, of course, the Reformation, so you see this spark of light, but it was just clouded with so many other things that were going wrong, and it was really just depressing. I mean, it had some hope, but it was depressing. And then along came the Anabaptists, and I, I'm telling you, I, it was like, yes! I mean, it was like breathing a fresh breath of air into my studies. Um, to read about this movement out of, out of Swiss and these men who were just godly people um, who read the Sermon on the Mount and they lived it. And I thought, I love these guys. And so I've always just had an affinity for the Anabaptist movement ever since that. And I, I, I think, like I said, I'm sort of an Anabaptist at heart. I, I really feel that I am. So again, it's just really neat to be able to be here with you and, and to share. Uh, it is the first Sunday of Lent. And so when uh, Pastor Matthew had you know, told me to pick a passage, I really struggled. I didn't know what to, to read from today, to preach from. And... Um, I thought about doing the lectionary and what was the, you know, the, the, the readings this year that the churches around the country and around the world will be following, but I just wasn't feeling it. Um, and I know you guys have been in Exodus. I've been following along as, you, as you, you've been going through, and I thought something from there, but again, I just, it wasn't, I just wasn't there. And so finally, I settled on the passage that we just read here. I know it's not a, a, a Lenten passage per se, uh, but uh, I, I think it still could prepare our hearts for the celebration that is yet to come. But it's a passage that means a lot to me and in my ministry. Uh, right now, my ministry is focused on um, uh, the Somerset County Jail. I go there sometimes twice a week. 
uh, and lead Bible studies with the inmates. And so this passage is, is sort of near and dear to my heart in relation to my ministry. And so that's what I wanted to share with you today. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, I was holding a uh, Bible study for the uh, female inmates. And a girl came in that night. She had uh, red hair and, and a, a fire, fiery green eyes. She was bouncing off the walls. She was just here and there and everywhere. And she was using language that was pretty profane and just, just kind of just going at it. Um, there was only about six or seven girls that night. And we, we finally got down. We sat down and we started the Bible study. And pretty soon this, this red-haired girl, she quieted down. And then after a while, she drew completely silent. Uh, before too long, those green eyes started to well up with tears. And they began to stream down across her cheek. She sat there and I her silence. She didn't say a word. She wouldn't say a word. It was a stark contrast to the way that she walked into that room. And uh, I had a feeling I knew what was going on, but I asked her, I said, are you okay? And she just shook her head no. She didn't want to talk, didn't want to say a word. She was completely quiet. Her friends sitting near her offered her a tissue, and she wiped her eyes, she blew her nose, and they asked her, are you okay? And she just shook her head no. She didn't, she didn't want to talk. And that's the way the Bible study ended. She eventually got up, didn't say a word, and walked out just quietly crying to herself. Now, it just so happened that that night we read from this Luke 15 passage. It was that night that we read from is that you just heard, the story of what we call the prodigal son. I, I call it Jesus' greatest story. That, that's what the title of the message is. That's my title. Jesus didn't say it was his greatest story. The apostles didn't say it was Jesus' greatest story. That was, that was me. And I, it really is one of my favorites, is what I mean. Now, what made her cry? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that I think that night she heard the music. Now, if you don't know what I mean, I, that's, that's fine. I hope that by the end you will. You'll know what I mean when I say she heard the music, and perhaps even you will as well. But let's bow our hearts once more, if you would, and join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, how good it is to come here today, to bow our hearts and to, to pray beside one another, to sing with each other, to read your scriptures, the fellowship. Lord, I pray that you would take all of these ingredients, mix them together, Lord, and change us because of this time together with you. We invite your Holy Spirit, Lord, to walk among us. We pray this in Christ, in his name, for his sake. Amen. Luke chapter 15, uh, and you sort of have to under the context of what we just read. We'd have to back up to the early verses of this chapter to really kind of capture it. It starts out in verse 1 that the sinners and the tax collectors drew near to Jesus to hear him. That's a common occurrence if you're familiar with the Gospels. The, the tax collectors, of course, those are the ones who had were turncoats, they had traded in their Jewish heritage, so were, and, and were working for the Romans, and as a result, they became both rich and hated by everyone else. They and the sinners, just this lot of people who ran with the tax collectors, were drawing near to Jesus to hear him. We find that, again, very common. Verse 2 of Luke chapter 15 tells us that the religious leaders, 
were watching this take place. And they were grumbling, which is again rather common. There goes that Jesus. Rubbing elbows with those kinds of people again. Now, I don't know where this scene takes place, where the story is told. It doesn't say, Luke doesn't tell us. I, I kind of picture in my mind's eye, Jesus is in a house somewhere. He's, he's in a house, it's an open-air kind of scene, and there's this party going on inside, a party perhaps thrown, and, and he is invited, he's the invited guest. And there's, well, you can imagine what's going on. There's eating, there's drinking, there's laughing, and these are the people that, well, this is common for them. And they're having a good time, and Jesus is inside. And, I, and in my mind's eye, on the outside, I see the religious leaders kind of just standing at the sidewalk, looking into the windows, grumbling, oh, what a rabbi is this? Does he realize who he's with? He is, he's no rabbi. He's no teacher. If he knew God, he wouldn't be in a place like that. You know, I encountered that once uh, a few years ago, I was going down to the jail. It was a Sunday night, I believe, and I was heading down. And I, I did what is customary for all people these days. I posted on social media. I was going down to the jail. Of course, it's important to tell the world what you're doing. And, and when I came back, I was, I, was, I was floored by what I had read. There was a, a friend of mine on, on Facebook, and he responded something to the effect of, why would you waste your time there. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked that someone felt like that, felt a, that, that I, it was a waste of time to go there. That's exactly, I think, what the, the Pharisees were thinking. What's he doing in there? He's just wasting his time with these people. Now, Jesus tells three parables in Luke chapter 15 in rather quick succession. And, and they sort of well, they sort of grow a little bit. And, and the third one is the one that we just read. The first one is about a man who has 100 sheep. He loses one, and he, he keeps the 99 secure, and he goes out and looks for the one. And when he finds the lost sheep, he, he brings it back, and he calls all of his friends to celebrate. And then Jesus tells the story about a woman. She has 10 coins. She loses one. She sweeps the house. She pulls the furniture out. The cushions come off, and she looks all over the house until she finds her lost coin. And what does she do? But she calls her neighbors to rejoice with her. I tell you, there's a common theme in Luke chapter 15, and that is of a party. The last parable that Jesus told in this chapter, the one that we just read, Jesus said, there's a man who has two sons. And one day the younger son comes to his father and asks him for his inheritance. Basically what he's saying is, Dad, if you were dead right now, what would you be worth to me? I mean, what's your worth to me right now? If you were to just keel over, I mean, what, what would I get? And by the way, I'd, I'd like to have it. And the father, surprisingly, it seems, sits down, calculates his net value. The Jewish tradition would be the oldest son. If two would get two-thirds, the younger son would get a third. And so he calculates his value, maybe sells off a few cattle or whatever, liquidates some assets, and hands his son the money. Here it is. Here's what you would get right now. It seems that the younger son for a few days just kind of thinks about this, rules the coins across his knuckles, wonders what he could do with this money. 
all the things that he could enjoy and have. And, and so he decides, I'm blowing this joint. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I am so gone. Now, I, I kind of picture, picture this, and this is dating myself a little bit, but this is like the Ponderosa. You remember the Ponderosa? There's a big ranch, the dad with his sons, and, and you know, he's got hired hands there, and he's got cattle working. This, this, is, this, is, this is a working, active ranch. And, and, well, it's not little Joe. That's where the, it starts to break down about this one. But the youngest son, you know, he comes to his dad, I, I want to get out of here. I, I want to be free for the Ponderosa. I want to get out there and experience life the way I want to live it. So he gets his money and he leaves. But he doesn't go just across the street, across the neighborhood, across the town. He goes to where he is a foreigner. He goes to a faraway land. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but I kind of picture Cancun, Mexico. I think that's where he ends up. He ends up somewhere on a beach in Cancun waves crashing. He's, he's got himself a little cabana out there where he can sit in the shade and just feel the breeze. He's got his toes dug into the sand. You can feel it now, can't you? He's got his toes dug into the sand. He's got a little drink in his hand, and it's so warm that the drink needs an umbrella, and it's got it positioned in there. And this is life. Why, this, this, is, this couldn't be better. He's, he's doing everything that he wants now, and he's, he's got life just exactly like he wants it. We should be careful never to judge the value of our choices based on what we're experiencing, whether good or bad. You see, sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking, well, if it feels this good, it must be right. And maybe, maybe it isn't. We can never judge right or wrong by how it feels at the moment. And our, our, our young boy is sitting there on the beach, I picture, and just enjoying life. And while he's spending his money on some other things we won't mention, the younger, the, excuse me, the older brother later brings it up. But as I share this passage often at the jail, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Because they're imagining what they would do with that money. And there is our, our young boy sitting on the beach, and he's just, he's just, He's got life exactly where he wants it. The trouble is, he's traveling down a road, heading for a curve in which he will not be able to negotiate. He can't handle what's coming. Unfortunately, we don't often see that until it's much too late. I couldn't begin to tell you the times that I sit in the Bible study at the jail, or I have sat, I should say, in the Bible study, across the table, looking at young men or young women who in a week from that time will be dead. They've left the Bible study. They've left jail. And within a few days, they're dead on the street. Heading towards a curve in which they cannot negotiate. But you and I are really no different. We don't ahead of us. We don't know what's coming. We think we can handle it. The truth is, we can't. You see, Jesus said, a famine strikes the area. A famine is a, a lack of food. Perhaps crops died. Maybe the, there was lack of rain, and so food prices skyrocket. They come and they take the umbrella off his drink, 
the drink out of his hand, kick him out of the cabana on the beach, and then eventually chase him away. His money dries up. He's got nothing. This is not what he thought was going to happen. He, he thought he could make all the right choices. He, he thought he knew best for himself, and it turns out he's got nothing. But that's when it gets really bad. He's hungry, and so he needs a job. And Jesus told his listeners that he joins himself to a pig farmer. Now, imagine you're a Jewish listener to that story. In fact, I could well imagine that in that room and even on the sidewalk outside, at the mention of becoming a pig farmer's helper, every Jewish lip just begins to curl a little bit. Ugh. Of course, the swine is an unclean animal. And he, he's in charge of feeding them. In fact, what has happened is this young man has become a servant to pigs. Sir, can I get you another bucket of slop? Can I, can I get you a corn cob, please? How do you like that pod? What can I do for you, Mr. Pig? He's become a servant to the pigs. You know your life has taken a downward spiral when you begin to serve the pigs like this but it gets even worse. As he's feeding the pigs, earning just an eager, a meager amount of money, he realizes he's still not making it. He's not earning enough to, to feed himself, and he begins, get this, to envy the pigs. He begins to long for the pods that they're eating. After a while, he begins to think to himself, I wish I could get down between them and eat with them because I'm not making it. Now you know your life has taken a turn for the worse when you become like the pigs around you, when you lower yourself to that place. The problem is, is so many of us don't see it. We always get there by gradual steps until the point when we reach that position, we don't even recognize what has become of our life. Fortunately, our young boy in this story does. He, as we read, came to his senses. In the world of drug recovery, that's called hitting rock bottom. You may have heard of that phrase. It's a different thing for different people. It means more than just bottoming out. It means more than just hitting a point in your life where you lose everything. It's when you realize you've bottomed out. You realize you've lost everything. Because many hit that point and still don't realize it, still don't understand where their life has placed them. And so for them, they haven't reached rock bottom. You hit rock bottom when you realize and when you resolve to change. When you say to yourself, I'm done. This is it. I'll do whatever it takes because I'm tired of this. I've grown weary of this life. I want change. That would be the beginning. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. 
We have to get radical about eradicating the sin in our lives, the things that hold us down and hold us back and make us spend our time with the pigs. And that's what happens to our young boy. Envying them, wishing that he could take part in what they're eating. And that's when Jesus said he came to his senses. He realized where his life choices had taken him. There's a lot to be said about that. Again, not everyone recognizes. Not everyone always sees where this has taken them. But he does. One day he's standing in the pig pen, ankle deep in the mire there, and he remembers his father's house. There he remembers that even his father's servants right now, back at the Ponderosa, they have more than enough bread to eat. So he resolves, I'm going home. I'm going back. He stands up and he drops his bucket of slop there in the pig pen, steps over the fence, and he begins the trek back home. And as he goes, he, he has a line that he begins to rehearse to himself. And he says it over and again. He said, I will go back to my father and I will say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants. Don't even, don't even call me a son anymore. Put me in the bunkhouse. I'll just work there quietly the rest of my life. Don't, don't refer to me as your son any longer. If you'll just take me back and put me, put me somewhere off to the side, I'll just quietly work the rest of my life. I'll, I'll do whatever you want to do. Just, just take me back. So he begins the trek home. And then the, the scene of this play kind of shifts, if you will. It shifts to the main character who's been the main character all along. But we get sort of short-sighted and we take a look at the son, but really it's the father who's the central figure of this parable. The scene shifts and the father is, well, he's, I, I, I picture he's, he's, in the, he's in the ranch house. He's, he's maybe on the second floor. He's got his office desk by the window. He's looking out down the lane as he does every day. He's looking out, and this day, he, he sees a figure walking towards him. And he can see his pulse quicken a little bit. He doesn't move. He, he just watches as it gets a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And then he recognizes him. It's his son. It's been hard on him, as we could well imagine, it's not an easy thing being said, Dad, what if you were dead to me right now? And then, Dad, I'm leaving. But I'm sure his father understood that to keep the boy here when his heart is really out there does no good to anyone. So he lets him go. How hard, how, how difficult that must be and must have been for him to let his son go not knowing for sure if he was ever coming back. No guarantees. 
But on this day, he sees him walking in my mind's eye down the lane towards the farmhouse. The dad jumps up from his desk, down the steps two at a time. I see the screen door flying wide open, slamming the side of the house. He steps out of the porch. He's down over the porch steps. He runs down the short walk. He leaps over the fence there, the white picket fence that surrounds his farmhouse, and he starts to run down the lane in the direction of his son. Now, th this is a point in which I've never seen the inmates that I've shared this passage with miss. Put yourself in the son's shoes for a moment. You've taken the family money. You've spent it on horrible things. You're coming home, and you see your dad charging down the lane like a bull elephant. What are you thinking? The beating of my life. And I deserve it. I, I deserve it. I know it's coming. Here he is racing down towards me at breakneck speed because of what I've done. Here it comes. Yeah, this is, this is a fascinating part of Scripture. Because I'm sure most of you understand the parallels of this passage and who these players might be. And the Father... Well, it would sound like this is God. And here's a picture of God running. It's hard to imagine God running. Why would he run? There's no need for speed for God. He's omnipresent. So why would he have to go quickly from one place to another? There's a song from the 80s. I have the lyrics here. It's called When God Ran by Benny Hester. Just the opening line. Almighty God, the great I am, immovable rock, omnipotent, powerful, awesome Lord, victorious warrior, commanding king of kings, mighty conqueror, and the only time, the only time I ever saw him run is when he ran to me. This is the picture of a magnificent, omnipresent, Omnipotent God running towards you. Running down the lane towards you. Now remember the little speech that our boy had rehearsed and had been saying to himself ever since he left the pig pen. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He's been saying that to himself over and over. And he begins to recite. If you listen to what was just read, he begins to recite. But he doesn't actually get it finished. He says, I've sinned against heaven and in, you, and, and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't finish the rest of the sentence, which is kind of odd because he had more that he was going to say. Now, it's just my imagination, but that's what I kind of picture him getting tackled. And the rest just never comes out. Sandals overhead, rolling in the dusty sand there on the lane. But instead of open-fisted slaps, he's getting kissed. Instead of being spat upon, there are tears flowing from the father, wetting our young boy's cheeks. 
instead of punches and kicks, he's getting hugs. This is not what he had envisioned. This is not what he thought was going to happen. This is not in a million years what he expected to receive based on what he had been doing. And I can, I can just kind of see him wriggling free from his father. says, Dad, no, Dad, no, Dad. You don't know where I've been. Father's saying, Son, you don't know where you are. Are you home? Are you home where, where love is the mortar that holds these bricks together and mercy flows from every, every faucet in this house and our table is spread with thankfulness? You're home. You don't know where you've been. You, you've been away from this and your home. But I, I could well imagine that the father knows exactly where his son has been. He can smell the pig still all over him. But that's not important. What's important, he's home. He snaps his fingers and he says to his hired servants, he put a robe on his back and give him sandals for his feet and the ring back on his finger. Go kill the fatted calf. Tonight we're going to have a celebration. We're going to have a party because this son who was lost is found, who was dead is now alive. And so they just begin this big celebration and the scene once more shifts to the older brother which we haven't read about since the very first verse of this story. He's coming in from the fields like he's been doing every day. He's coming in from doing his duty for serving his dad, working the fields. And on this day, he's, he's coming back and he, I mean, he hears Jason Aldean from the barn. What, what, what's going on here? This, this music, this thumping. I mean, what's happening there? And he, he, there's a servant running by him with a plate of food. He stops. What's going on? What, what's happening? Oh, don't you know? Your brother. Your brother has come home. And your father has killed a fatted calf. And we're having a party right now. Come on in. And you can see his arms. They're folding. His feet come together. I am not going in that house or the barn. I'm not. I am not setting a foot in that place. Now, remember this whole story was told with some Pharisees standing outside. What I see is a house looking in saying, wouldn't catch me in there. Wouldn't catch me in that place. And Jesus' response is, you wouldn't catch me out of this. The father, the, the, the oldest son, uh, I'm, I'm, not going, I'm not going in there. And the father, who's just always about reconciliation, comes out of the barn and finds his oldest son standing there and says, what's going on? Why aren't you coming in? Why aren't you coming in? Your brother is home. He said, Dad, do you realize what he's done? Do you realize what your son, and he calls him your son, not my brother, your son has done? He's taken our name and he's spread it all through the valley. We're the laughingstock of this community based on what he did to you. He comes home and you kill the fatted calf. You throw a, a party for him? Dad said, come on. He's, he was lost and he's found. It was like he's dead and he, he's alive. Now, the crazy thing about this story is it just hangs. We, we don't know whether the oldest son comes in or not. I guess that's just to be decided. But what's important, I think, is 
I just like to talk about that music, you know? The music coming from the barn because there's this celebration. Each one of these three parables ends with a note of celebration. The man who finds his sheep, the woman who finds her coin, the, the father who finds his sons, they all end it with celebration. And the girl that sat across me in the table in the jail, I swear she heard the music that night. She heard the music. She, she heard the music coming from the barn. There was a celebration going on, and she was invited to it. Oh, church, don't, don't ever lose your fascination for that music. Don't ever lose your fascination for, for that party that's going on because God is, is inviting many. He's inviting them to his celebration. We should never, never grow weary of that. Oh, we should be excited to say, come to church with me. Man, you should see this party we're having each and every Sunday. What a grand celebration of what is going here among us. Come on. Oh, you've got to take part of this. You've got to see the wonder and glory of God. You've got to hear the music coming from this celebration. Do you hear the music? It's off in the distance. It's not too loud. But it's there. It's coming from the bar. There's a party going on, folks. God is inviting all of those who are weary. He's inviting all of those who are hurt. He's inviting all of those who have sinned. He's inviting all of those who are sorry. All of those who are standing in the pig pen and are tired. They're worn out because of the life and desire him. Don't lose your fascination for those we're hearing the music and they're coming. Don't lose your, your hope for those who are still out there yet in the pig pens because they're all over this community as every community. They haven't heard yet. They don't know. They need to be reminded that there's a party going on and you're the hosts. You're holding it right here. Let's pray. Gracious God, oh, how good it is to come here and spend our time with you. Lord, I pray that you would call this congregation, Lord. Call them, Lord, to greater service, greater love, greater hearing. They'd hear your music, oh God. The celebrations that are going on. As sinners come home, as the hurting find help, as the lost are found, and as the dead come to life, infuse in them, Lord God, I pray, your power to live lives that are pleasing to you and in a way that attracts those who desire you. We pray this together in the name of your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. <clears throat>